Thanks, Henry. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, it's great to see you all here this morning. My name's Marshall. I'm uh, one of the pastors here uh, at SWEC, and, and it's a privilege to, to be sharing uh, with you. Um, well, for you fathers, I hope you're having a good Father's Day. Um, I don't have huge expectations of Father's Day anymore, but it was nice this morning when Bill got up. He wished me a happy Father's Day. We'll see what the rest of the day holds. <laughs> well, some of my most vivid memories of my dad growing up was going away on family holidays. It was quite an affair for our families. For our family. Everything we did was conspicuous. There were six of us kids. We were noisy and rowdy. We drove around in this beat-up old uh, VW uh, combi. Trying to hold a conversation as we went uh, was a bit like trying to talk to someone while they're drilling holes in the wall. Dad would be driving. Us kids would be in the back. Uh, we'd be trying to nag dad and mum about something, usually about stopping for an ice cream or something like that. Dad would be grumpy because we were making a racket, but he couldn't hear what we were saying anyway. But even though dad was grumpy uh, at times like that, he was also extremely generous. He was a Scrooge, but, and he hated spending money, but despite that, and this might sound a bit like a contradiction, but he was also uh, very generous. He would go out of his way to make sure that as kids we had great holidays growing up. We never went without. He would give us everything that we need. He worked extremely hard to provide for his family. As a father, he took that responsibility of providing very seriously. And another enduring memory I have of Dad is that as we grew up, uh, that, that he was a big, muscly, barrel-chested bloke with huge hands. When my brother and I were out on the farm with Dad holding his hand, we felt like we were invincible, that nothing could ever hurt us. Dad seemed fearless. Things that terrified my brother and I, snakes, a, a cranky bull that looked like charging us, or, or mum on the rampage, dad would always come between us and whatever it is we need, needed to be protected from. He was always there to protect us. Now my dad was far from perfect. And as we think about Father's Day, I want to acknowledge that here today there will be a whole range of experiences with your fathers. Um, your experience might be really good, have really good memories growing up with your dad, but it might be mixed as well. It might even be really bad, um, perhaps really painful. Perhaps your father wasn't there for you. Perhaps he left you when you were young. I just want to acknowledge that today. We all have different experiences and feelings about fatherhood that can colour the way we think about God as being Father. And there may be some similarities between our earthly fathers and God, but they may also be radically different. What I want to do today is spend a little while looking at God as Father. What's that mean? And I want to explore two pictures 
in the Bible that, that the Bible presents about God being Father. One, that he is a generous provider. And secondly, that he is our protector. We see in the Bible that God is a Father who delights in providing all that he has made, his whole creation. He pours out his blessing on all people, but especially his children. And secondly, that he is a father who protects. He protects his children and he especially protects the weak and the vulnerable. So that's where we're going. Why don't you pray with us as we come to God's word. Father God, I thank you that we call you father, that you um, reveal yourself to us not as a far-off God, not as, not as a distant um, judge or ruler, but as father who loves us, who longs for us to have a relationship with you. We pray, Father, that as we reflect on what that means, that you might uh, comfort us by your presence, encourage us, as we learn, as we think a little bit more about what it means that you are our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Those two characteristics of God as provider and protector are our two main points today. So firstly, our Father, the provider. In the Bible, God is consistently shown to provide freely, generously, graciously, to his whole creation. That's a kind of a blueprint to the way God deals with not just human beings, not just Christians, but to the whole creation. I want to give just one brief picture of that from the book of Job. It might seem like a random place to land. But right through the book of Job, Job has been accusing God of being unjust, uh, that, that he doesn't, doesn't care about Job's accusations. But that at the end of the book, God gives Job a picture of how he rules his creation. And just want to pick up a few verses in chapter 39. Chapter 39, verse 13. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labour was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. What's going on here? Why on earth are we talking about ostriches? Well, here's the point. God wants to show Job that the mo even the most stupid and apparently useless of animals, the ostrich, he nurtures and loves them, causes them to thrive and to laugh. He is a loving father. He loves generously, graciously, wastefully. And if he loves the ostrich like that, how much more does he love Job and every human being? Because the Bible makes it clear that God has a special care for human beings who are made in his image, distinct from the animals, and we are the focus of his particular care. But then the picture narrows even further. 
And God moves from our creator to our father. For those who he has a personal relationship with as his children. But firstly, he provides for all people, for all human beings. God cares and provides for all people. He treats us with dignity as being made in the image of God. Let's look, pick it up from our, um, our, our it wasn't in our reading, but Matthew 5. Jesus says he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So even if you're not a Christian, and maybe you don't even know whether you believe, uh, believe in God or not, the Bible makes it clear that you are the recipient of God's kindness and his love and his generosity. That every breath you take, each sunset you enjoy, the food that you'll eat tonight, God is the one who provides all of that. He provides for all people everywhere. But then God provides in a special way for those he calls his children, to those he trusts in because he, and he becomes their father for his children. And this is what makes Christianity different to every other religion. You see, only the God of the Bible becomes father. Only he commits himself in a covenant promise relationship, a binding relationship of absolute commitment where he has reached down to us, communicated to us and ultimately given himself to us. We see that uh, relationship expressed in Jesus' words that we did have in our reading in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? God cares for his whole creation, including ostriches and the birds, provides for them, as Jesus says here. But the point is that God's children are much more valuable. Jesus is talking about those who know God personally by trusting in what Jesus has done. Notice how he describes God in verse 26. Your heavenly Father, our Father, who loves us, is going to provide for us. But you might say, okay, Marshall, that that sounds great, but how do we know that? Prove it. What proof do we have that God really loves as a father and provides for us? Well, how do we know that a human father um, loves his children? We know it by their actions, right? I knew my dad loved us, not so much by his words. He was never a great one for words and expressing his love for us. But we saw it by his actions, by the way that he consistently and sacrificially provided for us. And that's how we know that God the Father loves us, by his actions. And his greatest act was to provide for our greatest need. 
he sent his own son to die to deal with our sin so that we could call God Father and we could live with him as his children. Many of you will be able to recite the most famous um, verse in the Bible. What is it, someone? Yell it out. John 3.16. Bingo. For God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's how we know that the Father loves us. One last aspect of the Father as provider. There's another group of people who God has a particular heart for and shows his special care for. Those are the poor, the vulnerable, uh, those who lack the normal protections that other people have. People like widows and orphans, those who are mentally ill. The Bible often uses the term the fatherless as a kind of a coverall term, an umbrella term to represent this group of people. So our third point under point one is that he is father for the fatherless. And God is consistently described that way taking it on himself to provide for these people where society has failed them. A few verses from the Psalms. Psalm 68. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. Psalm 10, verse 14. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Psalm 146. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. And some of God's harshest words are kept for his people when they fail to do the very thing that God does, when they fail to look after the fatherless. The Old Testament uh, prophets are full of such condemnation. Alongside idolatry, it's the sin that God talks about the most that ultimately leads to the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah going into exile. And you may be surprised that it was one of the reasons why God destroyed the city of Sodom back in Genesis. It's expressed in Ezekiel chapter 16. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And so God the Father has a particular concern for the fatherless and the needy. And he makes it crystal clear to his people that they need, we need, to share that concern. I want to just look at one other example from Scripture. The book of Deuteronomy, uh, as, you, as you may know, it, the, it's all about God's people about to enter the land of Israel. God is giving them the law for a second time. That's what the, that's what the name Deuteronomy means, second law. And this is the way that 
they are to live as God's people in the land. Let's pick it up from Deuteronomy 14. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This is describing the people coming together for religious festivals, which were to be a special time of celebration and enjoying the good food uh, and drink, as well as worshipping God together as a community. And the way that they are to do that is that they are to be generous, open-handed, gracious to the outsiders living among them and the vulnerable living among them to provide freely for them. That was how the community of God's people were to live. And friends, God hasn't changed. And the way that the community of God's people are to live now hasn't changed. Our generous Father still wants his people to have that same open-handed generosity, especially when it comes to looking after the vulnerable and those who lack resources. Now, I've been challenged in recent months that we are a very well-resourced church here. And we often get together and enjoy good food uh, and fellowship. But I've got to confess to you that until recently, I've put very little effort into thinking about uh, how we can be more open-handed towards our community here in Kingsgrove. To start with, I didn't even know much about our community. Then I found out there's a big housing commission area just across the road, across Kingsgrove Road near St. Ursula's Catholic Church. There are vulnerable families there and outside of that as well. People struggling with addiction, with mental health issues, single mums, and then people struggling with rental stress. And I'm convinced that God calls us, as his people, to do our best to love our local community. To bring them their greatest need, which is the good news of Jesus. And also, as we do that, to show them practical love by looking after the fatherless. Because it's as we do that, that we point people to God. Now, I want to say now at this point that uh, instead of just jumping, dumping a guilt trip on you, which isn't my intention, and leaving you wondering, uh, okay, so what do I do? I haven't got time to go into the details, but just very quickly, um, I want to suggest two things that we can do. There's a group of us working uh, right now trying to set two things up. One, a regular time of distributing food packages uh, to the community. It will probably be on a Sunday afternoon. Two, for next year, uh, an ESL class to teach newly arrived migrants English. I want to give us all an opportunity to jump on board and get involved with either or both of those things. So stay tuned to this channel. Second point, and this will be shorter. God the Father as protector. 
as our Father, he is committed to helping those who can't help themselves. Just like a human father uh, protects his children, notice the dads with the young children. They're, they're, they're running around, sometimes like headless chooks, uh, concerned about where their little kids are, Brett or Henry or any of the young dads. They're constantly looking at where their kids are, ready to rescue them when they run onto the road or run into harm's way, aren't they? Well, God the Father is like that with all of us. The Bible says we are all helpless. We are all helpless in our sin. We cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We need God to run after us and scoop us up. And again, that's what he did for us at the cross. He protected us from the consequences of our sin, from eternal death, from being cut off from him forever by Jesus paying for his sin. Ephesians 5, sorry, 2, verse 3 to 5. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. At our most helpless point, he saves us, he protects us. But once again, the Father also has a special care and is especially protective of the physically vulnerable, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow. Similar to the idea of God providing for them, the Bible is also full of passages saying how he protects and defends them. Once again, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy verse 10. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Proverbs verse chapter 23. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Now, some people who are political activists can be armchair warriors, can't they? You know, latte-sipping idealists who never actually get their hands dirty. But not God our Father. He doesn't just say that he's on the side of the weak. He took on flesh and became weak. He doesn't just say that he's against injustice. Jesus became the victim of corruption, lies, false charges and murder all so that justice could be done at the cross. So sin and death and the powers of evil could be dealt with once and for all. That's how much God cares about justice. And once again, our Father in heaven expects his people to seek and protect those who cannot look after themselves. Deuteronomy 24, do not deprive the foreigner of the, or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Deuteronomy 27, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. 
Sorry, one more. Isaiah 1. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So as a church, we need to be doing that, don't we? What does it mean for us? What does it look like? I don't think it primarily means that we uh, get up and take up our placards and join a demonstration. Although for some of us, it may mean that. It may mean political activism. But what justice means on the ground primarily is to seek, is to treat people with fairness and especially to protect the vulnerable. In the New Testament, James has some wise words. James 1.27 Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after widows, orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I want to suggest the application of this is actually pretty simple. It's what we were talking about earlier. Actually helping people, giving practical help like food hampers. But not just treating people as charity cases, to give them something and then to feel better about ourselves. It's to treat people with respect and dignity, dealing with people as people. And as we do that, it gives credibility to our words, the words of life, the words of the gospel, as people see the love of God in action. God is honoured and the cause of the gospel is strengthened as people outside the church see us actually contributing to the community. And God will use that to soften hearts for the gospel. Now, that's not the reason we serve people. We serve out of obedience. We love people unconditionally because that's the way that God loves us. As his people, the church needs to reflect the character of our Heavenly Father. We need to generously give, particularly to those who are vulnerable and in need. And we need to do all that's in our power to help protect the fatherless, the widow and the orphan. And as we do that, we proclaim the truth of the gospel in our actions as we look for opportunities to communicate the gospel with our words. Let's pray. Get the band up as we do. Father, we do thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you that you provide, that you have provided for us um, most, most importantly, most Gloriously, you've provided for us in the gospel. You've provided for us at the cross as Jesus died for us. Father, we thank you also that you are our protector and that you have protected us from the wrath of the Father. You've protected us from, from the effects of our sin and the consequences of our sin. And Lord, we thank you that you have a special heart for the vulnerable and the fatherless and the weak. And we pray that we would, um, we would reflect that in our actions, in who we are as a church.
And we ask that you show us how to put that into action in practical ways. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.